Greetings, citizens, and welcome to Unknown. I'm Jason McClellan. Maureen Ellsbury and Shane Hurd are here with me today as well. Thanks for hanging out with us for another one of our UFO Happy Hour episodes where we get together for some informal, opinionated discussions about various UFO-related topics. And today, some of the topics that we may get around to discussing are Japan's UFO policy, recent research related to possible life on Venus, and, of course, James Fox's new film, The Phenomenon. But before we get to that, it's not happy hour until we get the drinks going. So Maureen, what are you drinking today? Uh, I went a little bit boring. I am drinking a cab. That's not boring. And you know what? It's funny because I really was craving that last night because my wife and I decided to do a fun weekend, like end of week movie night. So we ordered in pizza, which, you know, we certainly haven't done any going out or or a lot of ordering since uh, the whole pandemic hit. So like ordering in food is is an extra special treat. So we decided to get some awesome pizza last night and we really wanted a bottle of wine to go with it. But we found out that we had no more wine left in the house. So a bottle of red wine is exactly what I wanted. We didn't have that. So, But, but that's the great thing right now in the pandemic. A lot of, uh, at least in Washington State, you can order booze and, and uh, beer and wine to go. Um, so you should have just ordered a bottle of wine with the That's pizza. true. I should have. You know, I have done a couple, couple orders from, from, the, uh, from the booze store, from Total Wine. You know, nice, nice alcohol shipment, but uh, yeah, we were all out of wine this time. But that's okay. But today I'm drinking um, some Japanese whiskey, so it was a quick and easy thing to grab. So that's what I've got. And Shane, how about you, buddy? What magical drink do you have cooking today? <laughs> well, I've got myself a headache going today, and I decided I didn't want any booze, so I grabbed a nice big glass of red Kool-Aid. And it's almost all gone. So I'm a, a actual Kool-Aid drinker in the in the real sense, not the political sense or otherwise. So, uh, And in my defense, I have two, I have an eight and a ten-year-old in the house. So that's why we had a nice full pitcher full of Kool-Aid. <laughs> and I just took it and ran. So that's it. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm thinking that uh, after today, I must create a T-shirt that says Shane drank the Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I drank the Kool-Aid. I have to admit it. <laughs> it's all right, Shane. You got it, bud. Well, enjoy the Kool-Aid. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. <laughs> well, I wanted to get together for a UFO Happy Hour episode. It's been a while since we've, we've even done an episode of Unknown. But, you know, a few things have have happened and generated some headlines in recent weeks in the past month. Um, and we haven't had a chance to kind of discuss them together. So I just thought I'd mention a couple of them today and get your guys' reaction. We can talk about these casually and, uh, you know, see what you think. But the first one I want to talk about is this UFO policy that the Japanese government has sort of enacted. And, uh, you know, media outlets around the world kind of 
spun this in various ways. But overall, what we know is that the U.S. Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, and Taro Kono, the Defense Minister of Japan, met in Guam back on August 29th. And they talked about all sorts of military things like strengthening uh, intelligence and defense capabilities. They also discussed UFOs. And in early September, during a press conference, Minister Kona was asked if uh, he had a UFO policy and if Japan was looking to cooperate with the U.S., being that they, you know, supposedly, reportedly talked about UFOs during this recent meeting. Well, Minister Kono said that he planned to address a UFO policy soon and that he and Esper talked about it, but he wouldn't elaborate beyond that. Then fast forward to September 14th, we learned that Minister Kono announced these UFO instructions for the self-defense force, which is basically if you encounter a UFO that you think could potentially pose a threat to national security, try to get it on camera. And the instructions also reportedly call for the analysis of UFO information received from the public. Now, that, I think, is a cool element to this that, you know, deserves more attention than just the fact that they're telling their military to, if you see a UFO, take a picture of it and try to get as much information as possible. I mean, I think that's always the default with anything that you encounter um, that that could pose a threat. So I think that was already... In, in place by default, but it's been stated now. But then this mention that they're supposedly going to analyze UFO information received from the public. That's super cool, but, you know, to this point, Minister Kono appears to be pretty skeptical when it comes to UFOs, because back in April, after the Pentagon officially released those three now famous UFO videos, Minister Kono uh, was asked about the videos during a press conference, and he said that no defense, uh, self-defense force pilot has ever encountered a UFO, um, but you know he wanted to know more about the Pentagon's videos. And he then stated the now infamous phrase, I don't really believe in UFOs. Um, but he did express an interest back then in establishing procedures in the event that a UFO encounter took place. So, you know, it's, it's interesting that... Seemingly, in response to U.S. Uh, US moves with our, our now uh, UAP task force in place, that Japan would think, oh, U.S. is doing something, we should do it too. But then also looking to the U.S. and the U.S. kind of taking this position as an authority on the subject of UFOs and offering insight and suggestions into how another country should deal with UFOs when, in my opinion... The the U.S. is kind of a shit show when it comes to UFOs and, you know, studying UFOs. And with us just reportedly just putting this UAP task force in place, I don't really think the U.S. is the one that the world should look to when it comes to how to deal with UFOs. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, first off, the statement, I don't believe in UFOs, drives me insane because... All it means is this unidentified, dude. Right. So you are saying you don't believe in seeing something that that uh, cannot be explained. Yeah, on, it on drives site. me crazy too. Anyways, um, so it's interesting because it's actually kind of surprising that Japan didn't have anything in place, and it's such a small country, and you have uh, multiple active. You know, Okinawa is a active U.S. military base, in fact, and. There's lots of sightings that have happened uh, unexplained there and, and by military 
um, officials there. So the fact that this is new is kind of surprising. And yes, every country should have a way to report and investigate unknown objects in their airspace. Like it blows my mind that it's a, a big deal. And, and yeah. yeah, that the public should be able to submit um, sightings. I agree that the U.S. is probably not the way to, to go. You could look at other uh, Chile or France or other places that have mm-hmm. well-established uh, official UFO reporting facilities and, and policies. Um, the policy Japan put out is very basic. It's, we should investigate this, take a picture, uh, we'll investigate public reports. That's it. It's not, um, well, at least what we've been told is, right. is very basic. Uh, so I find it interesting, but you, th- this is good because, um, you know, there's Jay Seti over there, um, Japan's uh, Center for Extraterrestrial Intelligence Research, and they've reported major uh, sightings from pilots and, and other things to the government, and the government has ignored them because there was no policy in place. Yeah. So I'm hoping, you know, I think we are on the opposite end where we hear about these crazy sightings over Japan and, uh, and other things that have happened over history um, because we're in the UFO area and we hear it directly from organizations organizations like Jay Seti. Um, so now that it's official policy, and I don't know if they said, uh, I don't know if you know, are they reporting this to the public, their findings, or is this just, we're going to investigate them and then keep the information classified? Um, right. Yeah. Are, no mention about that. Yeah. So it, but if they are going to share their findings, I think it'd be amazing because we'll probably get a much more in-depth look at what's happening over there. But seems seems kind of doubtful. But if they're following the U.S. policy, which we have uh, some stuff being leaked or like you know leaked or revealed, then maybe we'll get little tidbits here and there. But who knows? Yeah. What do you think, Shane? Yeah. You know, maybe what we're seeing is just a function of how um, U.S. and ally uh, militaries cooperate and that this is less driven by UFOs as much as this is just a a new military policy. And for those militaries that are associated or even dependent or intertwined with ours, that this is just them following that model uh, of, hey, the U.S. does it, this is what they say, and let's model after that, and let's cooperate. I mean, you know, it could be as simple as that, and less the focus on UFOs, because, as you mentioned, we've not really seen uh, anything come out of Japan from its military in terms of having, you know, encounters and that sort of thing. So that's one thing I think. The other thing I think could possibly be going on is they, in fact, have had encounters. They do have evidence of those encounters. And because the U.S. has always poo-pooed this, allies will have fallen in place with that as well. Um, But now that there's some, you know, 
uh, inklings of disclosure, this disclosure of some items, um, you know, the, those videos, for example, and now them having this formal policy that that they're going to, you know, latch onto that and do the same thing as well. So it's to me, it could either be just simple, um, you know, perfunctory. This is how allies cooperate. Uh, or it could be there's been some motivation um, because of an experience that they've had and they're, they're going to go to, you know, the U.S. for some help or direction on that in that case. So, I mean, it's hard to say. We know how it goes. Uh, once that information is in their hands, you know, there's no guarantee we'll ever see it or hear about it or any of that. So uh, while I think it's significant in the fact that, you know, it's a, it's a still an act of credibility regarding UFOs. Um, it, you know, may not change much in itself, but you know, if we start seeing other allies doing the same thing and coming out to where, you know, the majority of governments, I think, like you mentioned, uh, Marine, that it's unimaginable that they completely ignore this stuff or, or have been. So I think they've been, you know, dealing with it, but just not making that public so even the construct of a public ufo reporting program i think is a huge you know gain in terms of of the whole topic of ufos and some credibility and reality there so i think overall it's a good thing and yeah is it what it what it looks like maybe maybe not yeah i think international cooperation on this topic is always a good thing any sort of international cooperation Mm -hmm. but as we know in this country and, you know, the UAP task force um, has kind of highlighted this, at least the, the Senate bill in, in the wording um, for what was intended um, in a report that uh, the Senate would like. And that it, it, it highlighted the lack of communication here in our own country between different agencies and branches of our own government, our own military so it's weird, you know, for us to be going and expecting some sort of great cooperation and communication with other countries when we can't even figure out how to do that here in our own country with our own government, our own military. So, I mean, communication issues are a big thing. We need to work, work on that um, in our own country, let alone with international cooperation. But I agree with you, Shane. I think international cooperation is, is always good on this topic, and it's needed because, as we know, this is a global issue. It's not something that's U.S. or Japan. It's, it's the globe. We all deal with it. So we'll see what happens. But, hey, glad other countries are... I won't say starting to, because we know that countries have always had an interest in this topic and have always investigated and looked into and researched UFOs, but taking a renewed interest, I guess, because you make a good point, Shane. I think based on the U.S.'s past poo-pooing of the topic, I think other people kind of take a lead from that and go, eh, well, if they're not really going to take it seriously, then why should we? So we'll see. Hopefully it, it, it lights that fire and, and renews some interest. So I think it's a good thing. Yep. Well, let's move on to space. Let's go deeper into space. And probably remember seeing the headlines about this, about life being discovered on Venus, which isn't quite the case. But on Monday, <laughs> September 14th, the Royal Astronomical Society held a press conference where they announced the discovery of a rare molecule called phosphine in the clouds of Venus. And it's not really the phosphine itself that excited researchers, but it's the relatively large amount or quantity of phosphine 
Because here on Earth, natural things like volcanic activity and lightning can cause or generate phosphine, but only in small amounts. And according to researchers, the only thing on Earth that's known to produce phosphine in similar quantities that they found on Venus is bio, things that are biologic in origin. So that's really cool and exciting. Um, you know, as with any research, any research at all, you're going to have people who are against that research or find problems with that research and, you know, poke holes in it. And we've certainly seen that with this research. Not everybody believes what these researchers are suggesting that it indicates. Um, but as some of these researchers, like astrobiologist Sarah Sager pointed out during that press conference, like the only way we'll know for sure if life is causing this is to actually go to Venus. <laughs> and we'll do that soon. I mean, we have missions you know, planned uh, for, for going there, for flying through the clouds, for trying to do some sample collection. Those things are, are underway. But the thing that surprised me with seeing something like this happen is the reaction from the UFO community acting like this was something unheard of, something new, something that we haven't seen before, and it's a sign of drip-drip disclosure from the government that something bigger, some big announcement about extraterrestrial life is coming, because we've never seen this before where they make a big deal and have a press conference about the possibility <laughs> of extraterrestrial life, and... Uh-huh. As we all know, certainly, and, and Maureen especially, you and I have covered so much astrobiology news over the past decade plus, and we've seen so many announcements like this, and it made this one seem tame, you know, where yeah. we had NASA press conferences in the past five years or so where they really hyped it up, and they were really playing up that extraterrestrial card and, and teasing it and, and even in the press releases announcing who the participants in the press releases were going to be and these were people focused on intelligent extraterrestrial life and things like that they'd really hype it up and, and everybody would go crazy, you'd have the speculation oh yeah they're going to announce extraterrestrial life they're going to announce extraterrestrial life this has happened so many times over the years we keep seeing it, this is certainly not a new thing, it doesn't mean it's not exciting, not all of this stuff is super exciting but it's nothing new. So, Maureen, you, you kind of followed the, the explosion yeah. of headlines as this was happening. What, what did you think? Did you have flashbacks when, when you saw yes. this stuff come out? <laughs> I, I can only say how many press releases we in the office sat and waited for and watched. Uh, and, and again, this is news that it is exciting. And we've seen this before on, on many potential, you know, life on Enceladus and uh, Mars and lots of different things and exciting discoveries. And don't get me wrong, this stuff is always exciting. Um, but is it, is it what people are, are hyping up in terms of extraterrestrial life? No, we're looking at more microbial in the clouds, um, at least for the case of Venus. And these are not, you know, particles would die when they hit the, the Earth, Earth, sorry, the ground of Venus. Yeah. It's not like Venusian life that, that UFO uh, aficionados have um, described in, in encounters. And um, so, so, yeah, it's exciting. But I think what's more interesting is looking at it in the fact that, uh, you know, they believe that water disappeared, like the oceans of Venus uh, evaporated probably 700 million years ago, which is in the grand scheme of things, not that long ago. And, 
so life, they, they're speculating that life found a way to adapt and it moved to the clouds. And then you have Mars. And Mars, life adapted and potentially moved down underground into lava tubes or, or other places on Mars. And then we have Earth and we're facing this big climate change. What the hell is going to happen here? I mean, granted, the oceans aren't going to dis- disappear in our lifetime, uh, but you know, it's it's a projection of, of what will Earth look like? Are we going the route of Venus and Mars? So yeah. I find that interesting. Not necessarily that, that we're finding intelligent extraterrestrial life on Venus. That's not what this is about. But it is still extremely exciting and very interesting. How about you, Shane? I know you're a space nerd and you yeah. love seeing stuff like this. Yeah. Tell me what you thought. Yeah, yeah. I think it was interesting. Uh, you know, I didn't go bananas over it either. Uh, we've heard, you know, inklings of this kind of stuff before. Um, you know, like most recently, Amuamua, for example. And what I find interesting about the whole topic is that uh, scientists are floating the idea or explanation about it being life, um, which... You know, as you guys mentioned, I know you guys are way more familiar with this than I am, but over the years, these sorts of things do pop up. And so, uh, again, like Avi Loeb from Harvard saying, you know, Muamua could have been, a, you know, an alien craft or probe. Um, you know, there was, uh, you know, different announcements. I think it was just a couple of years ago, NASA come out and said, Again, with the big news conference, we think we'll find intelligent life in 10 years, you know. Uh, before that, yeah, certainly with the Mars stuff and, um, you know, other probes, uh, you know, Phobos and that whole thing where they lost the Russian craft and there's that photo and just, you know, the just the suggestion of life is pretty remarkable from the scientific community, at least more than 10 years ago, it would have been kind of almost shocking. But now we're starting to kind of get used to that idea. And I think it really hovers around the fact that we we have discovered so many um, exoplanets now that if you remember 15, 20 years ago, scientists would not admit life was anywhere. They just were super skeptical. Um, but when those started popping up and then recognizing just how ubiquitous planets are, you know, billions of them in the, in our galaxy alone that, you know, just the sheer, sheer odds say life, if it found a way here, it's had to find, find found a way elsewhere. So um, that's kind of what strikes me with the whole issue. And I know they just a probe on the way to Mercury, I think, in the last week or so has flown by Venus and, you know, they're going to try and check it out. So I haven't heard any results of that yet. But, you know, it's it, it is noteworthy and it is interesting. But like anything, I think, you know, the explanation could be very, um, you know, prosaic. It could just be, you know, a chemical element there that, uh, as we know already, it can it can occur in ways other than being life, uh, like the volcanic stuff that you mentioned, Maureen. So, uh, and, you know, Venus is a pretty freaking weird place. I mean, you know, it's 800 degrees Fahrenheit. It has, pre- I don't know off the top of my head, but I know the pressure there is much greater in a and, you know, especially the Soviet Union sent probes and stuff there in the past. And, you know, they just don't last long because of the harsh chemical 
um, elements in the atmosphere, the weight, the the pressure, and the temperature. And so it's a it's an extremely hostile environment. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Can life find a way? Maybe. Maybe not. In the clouds. And that's what's cool about any of these planets because they, they all have their weirdnesses to them. And Venus, certainly, you know, in the clouds because, you know, it brings up images of, of Star Wars, uh, you know, Cloud City. And that's what mm-hmm. they talked about with Venus is, you know, the possibility of having these cloud cities in the future because they're potentially habitable. They're in the clouds of Venus. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But, you know, a lot of the research being done now is is quite old based on on old data because you know for the past 10 20 years instruments have provided the data that suggests life on a lot of the worlds in our own solar system and now we're seeing return missions and in, in in adaptations of of what the scientists know specifically they want more data on to be able to prove or get closer to proving the existence of extraterrestrial life on these worlds. There's so many astrobiology missions happening right now and missions that are planned for, for sample return missions, for you know, just additional data gathering on all of these crazy awesome moons like Europa, Enceladus, Titan. You know, I, I'm pretty sure there's life on all these places, but we're getting closer and closer to being able to answer that at least more more solidly um certainly not concretely and we won't until we're actually like landing on these worlds and and you know doing the submarines which again another cool thing that's in the works sending submarines to some of these water worlds to to do sample uh, returns and to you know do collection to be able to analyze the the water for life on these crazy awesome worlds i love it just send out a mel gibson to the water worlds and (laughs) sorry uh, I know when when I when I saw this this Venus news, the first thing I thought was, well, maybe women are from Venus, actually, because <laughs> who knows? But but yeah, you know, one thing that that I will say is based on your point, Jason, is it's kind of cool if you look at it, you think about how um, we're now able to solve all these crimes based on DNA evidence that was gathered fifty years ago uh, because we have the technology to do it now. And so that, that data that's captured on all these past missions is super important because now yeah. we have technology to analyze that better. So I, I think that within, uh, within our lifetime, we'll see a lot more uh, really amazing discoveries in space. But I am envious of future generations, uh, if, if our planet's still alive, uh, what, what they might discover and, and learn. A lot's going to happen you know, progressively more and more will happen each year because technology keeps improving and we've got so many rad instruments now specifically focused on finding life. So, you know, every year just gets more and more exciting in that in the world of astrobiology. So let's move on to the phenomenon, guys. Um, this is a big UFO do- documentary that just released on October 6th from our friend James Fox. And Maureen and I recently spoke with James on our newly launched The Rogue Planet show. That's on YouTube. Check that out if you haven't seen it. But uh, let's talk a little bit about this film, guys. And Shane, I'll let you go first. What did you think of the phenomenon? Yeah, I liked it very much. I thought, um, you know, James has put out already some very good documentaries with Out of the Blue and I Know What You Saw. 
um, and I think this this just is a reflection of you know uh, his skill in improving and making movies and and uh, you know those were sort of like man on the street kind of ones dominated with that now they're um, this one had some really great interviews uh, on cases that range from older cases that actually I was blown away some of those I had not heard of um, and then to you know to hear about them now and actually have those individuals go on camera and tell about their experience I thought was very powerful and I like how he just kind of laid out uh, a historical review, you know, of cases that, you know, provide excellent evidence for the topic. And I especially love the, both the Ariel School and the uh, Westall School cases. And, the, you know, the footage with John Mack and interviewing these children. And, you know, I know you guys know Emily Trim and it was cool to see her as an adult, but actual footage is when she was a child and several of those those individuals um just made it very you know very powerful testimony i think is is the way i would say it and um and and then you know the conclusions and you know the revealing of some more specific stuff on, on the nuclear contact and i mean it just he just did an absolute awesome job of hitting all of the right points in in the UFO topic that you know produced meaningful, credible um, data and results, and and um, I, I I just thought it was excellent all, all the way around. Maureen, I I'd love to hear your thought on this. So, surprisingly or not surprisingly, after the movie came out, there was quite a bit of criticism from the UFO community about this film because. There wasn't anything that's really all that new in the film. You know, it's not any, anything bringing earth-shattering new UFO information to the UFO community. What do you think about that? I think this film is not for the UFO community. I think this is for the general public. And in that respect, if you approach it like that, it's an amazing film. I can't tell you how many people I talk to that don't know about the fact that we had nuclear missile sites being shut down by unknown objects, that we would not be able to launch these missiles if needed in an attack. I mean, that, I mean, I hope we don't ever launch them anyways, but that's like, these are amazing testimonies that are occurring. And most of the world does not know about this. We have a very niche UFO community. This documentary is not for us. I mean, it's for us, but there's not breaking information for us. Real passion was put into this film, and if you watch it, there were some really great tidbits and footage that we'd never seen before. Yeah. Some amazing interviews. To your point, Shane, the John Mack interviews were amazing with the aerial school children yeah i mean i think that's super powerful testimony the children were sincere and honest and t talking about the alleged creatures they saw in a way that was truthful and honest and and you know most cases that are presented in this documentary and we're moving forward on a timeline of of all the Westall 66 incident, the aerial, you know, we're going from the 60s to the 90s. They're all building up to this 
a greater reveal of more transparency and understanding and a storyline that I think is is extremely important. And I think this will make people take the subject more seriously. And of course, um, I when I posted something about the film on Facebook, somebody who's friends with Facebook friends with Lee Spiegel, I don't know if he actually knows this person or not, asked why the Billy Meyer incident wasn't included because it's so important. And so I, and and I, I really, I don't want to attack people for their beliefs or anything, but that case is highly polarizing. And it's, I mean, obviously I think it's, it's a lot of BS and I know Jason has done significant research on that, but it's not very credible. And you don't want to put stuff in a documentary like this because you may believe it's 100% the truth, but most people don't. And if you put that kind of stuff in a documentary like this and present it to the public, that documentary is null and void. And that's yeah. it. it. It would skew the entire film. So I think people should realize that these are amazing cases that should be presented to the public in a light like this. It's not a film for us in terms of revealing new information, but that's what makes it great in my opinion. Yeah. And you know, there was a lot, I mean, certainly I'd seen a lot of the archival stuff before, but there's plenty in this film that I hadn't seen before seen or heard, you know, I'd love to bring up the the Lonnie Zamora stuff because there was some really good archival stuff there. Yeah. You know, the, the audio and and the the interview with the wife, um, the conversation with the dispatcher. I mean, that's a fantastic case. And this film, I know James spent a lot of time on that case specifically. And there's some really good stuff about about Socorro in there. Um, that mm-hmm. was certainly one of my favorites. The school stuff, absolutely. I mean, a lot of archival stuff there, but you know, talking with the people today and hearing their recollections today compared with back then and hearing from some of the people who were adults at the time at these schools, yeah. that was amazing too, hearing from them. That was great. Um, another one of my favorite things, again, talking about the, the UFOs and nukes, um, wasn't necessarily about the you know the UFOs and nukes information, but about that one little detail that I find so fascinating that connects you know many of these cases beyond just the the military bases and the nuclear weapons, and that is the red laser being shot from the UFO. Mm-hmm. You know we heard that from from Malmstrom and uh, from Ellsworth Air Force Base, but that's also that's also Rendlesham. I mean, we've got these UFOs at these bases with nukes shooting down lasers at the ground. And that just is incredibly fascinating to me. Um, You know, so there were moments like that when I was watching this movie where, you know, with UFO documentaries, I kind of passively watched them because, you know, it was just a lot of head nodding. I'm like, oh, yeah, that case. Oh, yeah, that case. But there were elements, you know, with some of the interviews, with some of the footage, with some of the details that I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I would actually like pull out my phone and take notes on it because I wasn't expecting to be pleasantly surprised with some of these things. So I thought the movie did a really good job um, 
from a narrative standpoint, sort of telling the story and telling it to the general public. And that, that is the big point here. I mean, you, it's not a documentary made for the UFO community. Certainly, we, part of the UFO community, found it interesting and, you know, it, it's something that I highly recommend to, to everybody. I think it's the best UFO documentary that's ever been made. Um, but it is for the public, and that's something hard, I think, for a lot of people, including myself. I get caught up in it, too, not remembering that this is something that's important to us. It's something that we're focused on, hyper-focused on. We pay, t- pay attention to everything mm-hmm. we see in the news about this, everything that the UFO community is discussing. But the general public doesn't see things the way we see it. If they see a UFO headline, it's not necessarily going to you know, serve the same purpose to them that it does to us. A lot of people just brush that stuff off or don't give it a second thought. So, you know, for the UFO community, there's oftentimes this perception that the entire world knows about all of this stuff that's happening. I mean, we can take something as big as those three UFO videos officially released by the government. There are still probably the majority of the people in the country, if not the world, who don't know about those videos, who haven't seen those videos. As hard as it, as it is to believe, there are lots and lots and lots of people who aren't even familiar with those videos, let alone intricacies of other UFO cases, or the fact that, back to your favorite question, Maureen, are UFOs real? You know, And, and that's why it always comes up, because that is the established norm. The default for the general public is UFOs do not exist. We're still at that beginning step of this race. We can't go expect the public to, to leap forward and finish the race when we're, we're back at the beginning. And I think a lot of people need to understand that and have a little more patience when it comes to this topic and presenting the information and having lower expectations for how the general public should react to these news stories. Because again, to the general, most of the general public, we're still back at, do UFOs exist? Absolutely. That, I mean, seriously, this yeah. is, I've, I've always had the resources when, when people find out what I do and they say, well, okay, uh, what do I read or, or watch to learn more about it? And I had always suggested, I know what I saw, Leslie Kane's book, uh, UFOs, Pilots, Generals, and Military Officials Go on the Record. And now, you know, this is going to be probably my, the first thing I say, go watch this film. If that spikes yeah. your interest, then I'm going to give you some other resources to, to learn from. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Jason, I'm, I'm really not surprised I'm going to say this about the fascination you had with the lasers aspect, because one of your favorite cases involves a UFO shooting laser beams and killing people. <laughs> well, oh. Yes, the killing part isn't what I love, but yes, it does make it fascinating. Yes, Colaris is like, <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah. And, you know, that in proximity time-wise to, to Rendlesham. Yes, very fascinating. Yeah. UFOs shooting lasers. Another thing Typical I want you know, <laughs> Another thing I, I just... To, to close this out, guys, just another thing to, to kind of get your take on. And that is, you know, I've, I've heard recently, and I think it's uh, maybe Chris Mellon has been, been tweeting this. Um, I could be wrong about that. But supposedly the phenomenon you know, is, is being shown to people in the UFO task force, the UAP task force, you know, to sort of bring them up to speed or to, to, to give them a good education. Um, 
you know, and, and whether that's, that's actually happening or not, I don't know. But if it is, I personally find that fascinating because a- as we keep hearing with so much of what happens with UFOs on an official level, it's people who aren't supposed to be are in the know people, the ones who are supposed to be disclosing information to us who are getting their information from the UFO community. It's the UFO community informing people in the government about UFOs for people in the government to then say, here's what we know about UFOs because we learned it from UFO people. It doesn't seem to be the right sequence of events to me. Um, I don't know. What do you What do you guys think about that? Yeah, that's a curious little uh, development there. I would say too. It, it unless it is that it because it is so succinct and it's encapsulated in the form of a movie. And as as we already talked about, that the cases selected are strong. They include civilian and military cases. And so maybe um, it just tells the story in the quickest way possible, right? So you're probably not going to have a senator sit down and read, you know, uh, an entire book in a short period of time about UFOs. Uh, they might spend an hour and 20 minutes watching watching that film. And, you know, we we, you know learn quickly from um film or video so maybe that's that's the idea um or or maybe it it's you know i I mean i really got mixed feelings on the whole how much the government knows things um because i think you i think what you have is you have some people that know a lot and the majority know nothing and maybe a a smattering know a little And, and i'm talking within government um, and as we already know from Lou Elizondo, that you know the receptiveness of individuals within government um, can be pretty narrow based on like the religious views or or other things. Now you put those personal biases in, and then you add top of them their professional responsibilities, and you're, there's no mistake. There's still the ridicule factor out there. So you know. It, to me, it's probably a blend of all those things. You know, they 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 do depend on some of the information from the UFO community. They know some things themselves, um, but maybe this was just the most direct way to bring some of those people up to speed in a way that people get up to speed quickly with a film versus you know reams of reading to do. So maybe it's as simple as that. But in any regard, if it's true and they did it, I think that's freaking awesome. Very cool and a very informative and useful tool for them to again make progress and educate these these leaders and these people who ultimately are gonna control the narrative on this thing. So, you know, stay tuned and hold on to our butts, I guess. Yeah. So it's essentially serving as an onboarding video for people, and as you mentioned, we have people that that are are brand new to this that are probably being appointed to positions to, that need to be filled, and you have people who have. Uh, high clearance. And, you know, even Harry Reid had mentioned in this film, his groundbreaking quote of most, most of what, what we have has not been revealed to the public. So um, I I think 
it makes total sense. And if you look at past history with the government's involvement with the UFO community, they have sent government officials undercover to UFO conferences and events and, and uh, followed people and interacted with, with UFO uh, researchers uh, to find out what the community knows to see yeah. if it aligns with uh, what they know or does the UFO community have insider knowledge on specialized military technology that you know they need to like do something about. Yeah. Um, so it's not that surprising to me and I think it's yeah like he like Shane said, it's freaking cool. Um, I, I think that everyone should watch it in the government, and, and it's great. And, yeah, uh, to the stars, Lou and, and Chris Mellon and, and others have been praising the film on Twitter, I know, quite a bit. So um, their involvement with, with government programs as well, I think it, it goes hand in hand. Yeah, and... You brought up Lou, and Lou's, a, a, I think, a prime example of why showing this film to the people in the, the UAP task force and others in the government is such an amazing thing because, you know, as we know, Lou, when he was involved with, with ATIP, Lou wasn't familiar with UFO history. He didn't know historical cases. That's not part of, of the knowledge that he had. You know, he was starting from scratch and, and doing whatever, you know, the ATIP was doing. Um, but he didn't didn't have that historical knowledge, so you know it's a slow slow build process to to acquire that, and uh, you know it helps you avoid duplicating work or or you know finding things out as you do and you go down this rabbit hole and thinking you've uncovered something earth shattering, groundbreaking information about UFOs. Come to find that that's old news in the UFO world, you know. So I, I think it's incredibly smart of them to do, but at the same time, you know it kind of highlights an exercise in futility um, when it comes to the UAP task force, if this is really where they're starting. And, you know, they're putting a team in place that doesn't really have this knowledge already going forward because we've been down this road before with the government. Why are we trying again with the same thing when supposedly people higher up have special information and it's the information that we're all after, why aren't those people the ones doing this project? Um, you know, it seems like we're starting over where we've been many times before. So, and may, may, maybe that's trying to eliminate bias. I mean, you wouldn't want a bunch of, of very researched UFO uh, researchers running this program because, you know, if you know too much, and, and I think as, as you all know, the deeper you get into this, the more your views can shift and personal bias could be projected into something that needs a really objective standpoint. So I I can see why, why you wouldn't put those people in charge necessarily as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And, you know, I was thinking about, you know, how how times change and how we've changed as humans. And, you know, we're, we're all, I think we could say we're all kind of lazier than, than previous generations. You know, it's just kind of, kind of the culture where, you know, we, we, have shorter attention spans. We aren't going to take the time to, to read a lot of text or, you know, invest a lot of time into to researching something. We want the quick version. Too lazy, didn't read, right? So um, I think the movie really helps in that regard, brings people up to speed quickly in a visual format, something that's easy to digest. But I got to say, man, I mean, I really hope that the UAP task force has a couple, like, 
Ed Repelts on their squad who like will go in and be gung ho and go and look at every single UFO report that the government has on file. That's what Ed did when he, before he took over Project Blue Book, went in and personally evaluated and looked through all of the UFO sightings and reports that the project had amassed to that point. So when he came in and took over, he knew everything that had been done already, knew the conclusions that had been reached, and you know was ready to lead the project. So we can hope that there are some go-getters like that in the UEP task force now. Well, Good old yeah, Ed. actually, this is this has really been on my mind the whole time. Is you know where's the freaking Air Force been? And we have heard nothing but crickets from them. And it's like Blue Book never happened, and now the Navy, oh, wow, there's UFOs, and we're going to be well, you know transparent about it. You know what I mean? What does that mean? What, I have various thoughts and, on and that. And is it related? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, probably, we'll probably I think, could do a whole show on it. <laughs> I think time will tell, but you know, here's my my overall feeling about that, and that you know, it goes into the Navy and everything else that's that's happening right now. It's you know, how far can you take it? You know, and for the Air Force, why would they now come back and say, "Oh, you know what? Let's do another project." Because they already did a project. They already did several projects. And after their projects, after their years of invested time and manpower, their conclusion reached was that UFOs don't pose a threat and it's really not useful at all for them to, to spend the time looking into it anymore. You know, the UK government did the same thing. So people getting frustrated now, why is the UK government so quiet on this? Look at everything the US is doing. What are they doing? Well, again, just until recently, too, they evaluated it. They already went down this road, and they made an official conclusion that doesn't pose a threat to national security. We don't have the manpower to deal with this. We've done what we're going to do. Bye. You know, so... Does it really then make sense for a group that's made that public determination already to then come back and do the same thing again? You know, I would like them to, of course, because this is that's just the nature of this field. The nature of UFOs is, in my opinion, something that can never be solved. It's the frustrating nature (laughs) of UFOs. It's something that is ongoing and will always be ongoing and will always need to be looked at on an individual case-by-case basis. It's not something as simplistic as, oh, we solved every UFO or we can't solve any UFO, therefore not going to try. You know, it's a very complicated thing because every UFO is different, because it's not something that is solved with a single answer. So... On that end, I think it always needs to just remain a thing that, you know, is part of what you do. And in a sense, it is. Like we talked about with Japan. Like you're always, you know, going to look into something that's unidentified in your airspace. It's not something you say, oh, we don't have a policy for this, so we're just going to let that go. No, of course. They've always looked into it. It's always been something that they're going to go and investigate. But I think it's just something that has to be ongoing. It's just a, a... product of life. It's something that's that has always been and will always be. So you can't just close the book on it. But I do see the difficulty from the Air Force's standpoint because they've already done this. What utility is there in saying, 
oh, hey, let's do it again. No, no, I, I totally agree. And, and you know, it's it's a freaking hot potato, and they, they, they dealt with it for 20 years. What, they're done. I, I do get that. But I just thought it was interesting, like Colonel Friend, his comments there about – about blue book and i've always said this that when do you stop asking a question it's when you get the answer right so he alluded to that as well with project blue book that and you know he he had a pretty wry smile on his face when he said Mm -hmm. you know the they made a conclusion and it wasn't the conclusion that you got uh with formally from blue book at the close of blue book so uh again you know, you stop asking a question when you get the answer. So, I don't know. I guess time will tell what that really means. I, I think there's a lot of weight in his smile. And, you know, Jason and I have had the opportunity to interview him in the past. And he was similar. And it was very hard to interview him because you couldn't figure out what he was trying to tell you with yeah. the look in his eye and the smile on his face. You couldn't mm. tell if he was, like, mocking it. Or whether he was trying to tell you, I'm telling you, there's something you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So very, Mm -hmm. very curious. Well, well, and that coupled with Harry Reid, which, again, I find this quite confusing. When James asked him, are you saying some information has been withheld from the government about UFOs? And he came came back and said, no, I'm telling you, most of it has been held back. Mm -hmm. And yet, when the, the most recent New York Times... Uh, article came out he kind of poo-pooed the whole thing i i I don't know what i don't know how to explain that what you know how to justify his kind of playing back and forth maybe that's just politician stuff i I don't know it very well could be you know and maybe that's an episode we'll have in the future and maybe a happy hour episode where we try to dissect the mind of harry reed and and his his comments on the subject yeah fascinating all right, guys. Well, let's wrap this up. Thanks uh, for hanging out on our happy hour episode with us today. Um, it's always fun when we get together. I love these. And citizens, that's going to do it for this episode. You can find more episodes of Unknown on all the major podcast platforms. And you can always find this show and our other shows at RoguePlanet.tv because Unknown is a Rogue Planet production. RoguePlanet.tv is your home for all the strange. The show is at Unknown UFO Pod on Twitter. I'm at Acentric on Twitter. Maureen, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, at Maureen Ellsbury. Easy. And Shane? At Herd Ranch. At Herd Ranch. Thanks again for hanging out today, guys. I'm Jason McClellan. I'm Maureen Ellsbury. And I'm Shane Hurd. Do us a favor, friends. Always treat the UFO subject with a cautious and responsible skepticism it deserves. Question everything. Have the courage to form your own opinions. Keep truth as a focus of your quest, even if the truth conflicts with your opinions. And, of course, stay strange.